0: I'm Nick Abrahams, and welcome to Web Three: From Mystery to Main Street, the podcast where we talk about how technologies like crypto, DeFi, NFTs, and the Metaverse are being successfully embraced by mainstream businesses. And today, I'm delighted to welcome to the program Nigel Dobson, who is the Banking Services Lead at ANZ Bank. Nigel, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for the uh, invitation. Glad to be here.
0: Now, uh, you have a very interesting role at the ANZ. Can you tell us a little bit more about what is it
1: is that you do and, and your team? Sure, Nick. The, the Banking Services Portfolio at ANZ uh, is an enterprise function. It uh, it focuses on delivering all of the payments, uh, services and operations to the bank. But in, in doing so, we often um, find little areas of innovation. And uh, this is probably what we're going to be talking about today. But uh, you know, We've got a, a very enthusiastic team of, of business uh, people and technologists who collaborate around developing our contemporary payment systems. But with that, um, a great deal of enthusiasm for the digital asset world and the token economy. So that's kind of where we've been focusing on recently. That's
0: fantastic. I imagine there's a lot of, lot of energy and enthusiasm in that group. Um, I guess maybe if we start a little bit high level, um, we look at you know what what do you see the opportunities for financial services as a result of I guess the term is you know we would we would talk about web 3 technologies so tokenization blockchain crypto nfts the metaverse all, all that sort of gathering of technologies where's the where's the future for financial services do you think
1: well I, I think for financial services it's it's there are many avenues of of exploration I think currently but for ANZ, um for us it's really just passing what the opportunities are understanding what each of the various technologies can enable and then reflecting on what our business model and operating model demand in terms of improvement, uh, problem solving for our customers and, and genuinely creating new uh, new and interesting assets and in business models. But for now, it's really focused on the financial market infrastructure that we know very well. And looking into the Web3 technologies, as you mentioned, um, distributed networks, tokenization, digital assets are the areas that we think are um, applicable to the financial market infrastructure that we currently use and are likely to be better, faster, cheaper. Now, that's a, that's a great promise. Um, <laughs> the, only, the only way you can really prove that out is to, to work with customers on their problems to see if you cannot transform the problem that they might have today in the traditional digital economy to one that is solved more quickly, more securely or more efficiently with a, a token-based and distributed network type solution. It's, um, it is interesting
0: that you, you mentioned there that it's, it's about solving the customer's problems. Cause I think one of the things that we've seen probably with blockchain since, you know, we, we first saw it with, uh, you know, with, uh, Bitcoin 13 or so years ago is it's been accused of being a solution in search of a problem. And so your point there, which is really what the ANZ is about, is about solving customers' problems. Which is, I guess, as I understand it, how um how the ANZ got into the stablecoin business, because I think there's there's sort of parts of the Smorgan family who are quite interested in the tokenized uh, economy. And so maybe what might, might be great to just get a sense of I think, you know, the very first transaction where the ANZ was, you know, was was the first bank, I think it's correct to say the first bank in Australia to mint its own stablecoin um, as a result of transaction with the or for the Smorgan family. Could you talk yeah. us through a little bit about how that worked?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Nick, I mean, there was, a, there was a quite a bit of thinking that led up to that transaction and a, and a very uh, kind of serendipitous meeting in December of, uh, of 2021 where the the, the three parties, uh, ANZ, the uh, the Smorgan family, um Uh, The private office uh, got together with one of their investment companies, uh, ZeroCap, the digital asset exchange, and that prompted a very interesting discussion about the benefits of having uh, an Australian dollar denominated uh, digital coin, which could be used on the ZeroCap uh, exchange, much in the way that the USDC coin and Tether and those other sort of coins have gained huge prominence and and, and massive utilisation. In, in other venues as well so we took a lead from that but we also took a lead from well, what is what is the bank's role in terms of uh, potentially minting a coin like this and why would we do it what problem are we solving so the first thing is the the fundamental reason we would mint a stable coin is to to um, bring participation in the digital asset markets to to the bank and give us a role. Um, which we're very comfortable with. We have the infrastructure, the learnings, the regulation, uh, the technology, uh, and the product capability to deliver a coin or a tokenized um, deposit effectively. And then the second piece was, um, you know, the the Smorgan family had um, an investment portfolio. They wanted to expand that more into digital assets. But their current workflow to actually get an Aussie dollar fiat uh, deposit into a digital asset was a process that took many steps and many days, um, traversing uh, fiat currency, different currencies in the US, different assets, and all the way back to zero cap for a, a transaction. Now, we, we that elapsed time of three days, we compressed to about 10 minutes, um, simply by issuing um, the VSG with a um, a digital Aussie dollar coin, 100% collateralized by a deposit they held with ANZ. And we then used the Fireblocks platform to um, transmit the, the coin onto uh onto ZeroCap for eventual um, you know, that, that could have been used for a, a transaction. Now, at that point, we didn't use the coin for a transaction, but what we did do was trans transmit the coin to all the way to Cap's wallet so that they could have done that. So what we proved was we could issue a coin, we could send it to the right wallet, a whitelisted wallet the that receiver zero cap would receive that coin. And then eventually in the future, they would then buy a digital asset with it. What we did, we turned it around and and reversed the process because we also wanted to prove that the coin could come all the way back to its its issuer and be redeemed um, appropriately for fiat currency. Now, that redemption um, is something that's incredibly important because right now stable coins, um, they're they're held in perpetuity by many um, parties. But when the redemption, um, you know, uh, uh, moment comes, you want a <laughs> you want a trusted party holding collateral or at least holding the promise to repay um, that original fiat backing uh, to the holder of the coin. So again, this is where this highly rated commercial bank with a regulatory perimeter, as we are, um, comes into play, and that's where we think we've got a lot of room to move in terms of our stablecoin.
0: Yeah, I, I I mean the. Uh, you know the opportunities seem extraordinary. I guess to just just to try to unpack that a little bit so that everyone understands it. Effectively, you know, if you're if you're any organisation, I mean, in this case, it was the Smorgan family, but uh, any organisation who's interested in buying some form of digital asset, um, there's that there's that sort of on onboarding or transaction friction around how do you actually get uh a cryptocurrency whether it's a stable coin or or you know like a like a usdc or a tether um or indeed another form of um of crypto of of cryptocurrency so you've got to you've got to access that and have that and be ready to spend that to to buy whatever whatever digital asset and so in your situation what you were offering for the smorgan family group was was this idea of rather than going and getting it you know getting tether and you'd have to buy that with you know, you know, some form of fiat. Um, rather than doing that, they could just um, they deposited the money with you, with the mm-hmm. ANZ, and then the ANZ created this digital coin, and and then Zero Cap uh, received received the coin and would have been able to execute a transaction to buy another digital asset should that have been required. But instead, you just reversed the process to prove that the ANZ coin uh, actually uh, it was redeemable. So is
1: that is that sort of it in a nutshell? absolutely right nick and that was the that was a really important part of it is that you know the the idea that you um it's it's much more efficient to settle a digital asset transaction with a digital value coin uh rather than go off chain and try and settle it through traditional payment systems i mean it's chalk and cheese right in terms of the efficiency and the cost so we wanted to be the issuer of a coin that enabled a transaction to happen on-chain, matching two digital assets, exchanging value. And in the future, we think that, you know, the viability of atomic settlement to mitigate risk, improve security, and also um, massively improve counterparty risk, if not eliminated completely, is, is something that we're focused on in the future for digital assets.
0: I think, you know, certainly, you know, in my experience, I'm sure there's a number of people who are listening who have the experience where, you know, you're waiting on, you know, a, a, a decent lump of funds to come in from offshore, and it's all like, well, you know, the banks close at this time in that country, and so it's got to get in by that time, and then it's not going to arrive here, and then we all wait somewhat feverishly to see the money land in the accounts, and and so forth. And it, it you know, I've always just assumed that's that's normal, and I, I think what what your uh, what your solution proposes is that rather than waiting that you know whether it's sort of twenty four hours or three days, uh, we could actually do that in sort of under ten minutes.
1: Well, that's exactly right, and that and that settlement anxiety is you. As <laughs> oh you yes, it, you know we've we've all felt it either personally or professionally, right? Yeah. And and it is because markets are not twenty four by seven, right? Um, you know, markets are not um, you know well integrated, and and the idea that you can have native um, coins. Um, transacting with assets in real time in in venues that operate twenty four by seven um, changes the paradigm completely and, and really reduces that settlement anxiety down to down to minutes rather than days.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's oh, fantastic. Well, well, you, I guess you you had a proof of concept um, and then you backed it up only uh, only very recently, a couple of weeks ago, uh, where another another branch of the uh, of the Sporgan family uh, used the stable coin. To buy some, um, some beta carbon tokens and and guy Dickinson, uh has been on on the program earlier from beta carbon talking about um, you know his fantastic uh, tokenized solution to carbon credits but could you could you talk us through how how that um, project sort of extended on the original uh, proof of concept
1: well yeah it's I mean it was a natural extension and we wanted to find a, a digital asset that was firstly in line with some of our a strategic direction in the institutional bank at ANZ so sustainability was a or remains a, a very important theme for the bank um you know transitioning our clients from the carbon economy to the renewable economy and we want to participate in that transition and alongside that we think that the you know the carbon market is is immature it's early stage it will become more and more important and what better market to look at in terms of t- contemporary infrastructure uh, than, you know carbon credits in Australia, um, and so you know we worked with um, Guy and his team to, uh, and the and the zero cap team and the Victor Morgan team to fulfil what we what we didn't quite complete in that first contract uh, transaction, which was in fact the purchase of an asset, a digital asset on chain uh, natively, having those two digital assets interact and and complete. Um, and as I say, so firstly it was about. Going all the way through to um, asset settlement and exchange, but also in a theme that was very important for our ANZ strategy, which is supporting sustainability and showing perhaps uh, one of the options for future financial market infrastructure supporting um, carbon credit transactions or even just sustainable finance in general. Pointing a, a you know shining a light on where the uh, the operating model may best fit. Uh, given the the current lack of um, really um, you know mature infrastructure that supports those markets.
0: yeah. it's
1: it, it is interesting because I think one of the
0: one of the concerns that's always struck me about tokenized assets is um it, it only really makes sense where there's some some real reason for using the tokenized uh, tokenizing technology. and you know there's lots of folks who've attempted to tokenize you know real property or cows or or other things. And it's you know, often it doesn't make sense because there's already a ready market and and relatively you know as you as you mentioned you know a mature infrastructure around facilitating those transactions and I think what Guy and the team at Beta Carbon have found is that it's actually quite uh, quite difficult for m- most folks uh, to be able to be active in the carbon credit market even even very significant and sophisticated players it's they're still lots of issues around that. And so his business, I guess, using tokenization really provides a, a relatively simple on-ramp into an exposure to carbon credits. And so what I, I guess we take, you know, the way you described it earlier, um, so so you, the Smorgan family, you facilitated them getting um, an, you know, an ANZ stablecoin, and then that stablecoin actually purchased a digital asset being the tokenized carbon credit, which they now hold effectively so um uh, uh fantastic like what do you see as the future for for, for you i guess your stable coin and 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 this you know i'm more than happy for you to to make this an advertisement um for the anz because I, you know i think full yeah. credit that the anz has you know ha, has shown that it is is prepared to to trial new technologies but what what, what other sorts of customers would you expect um might be interested in in utilizing the anz stablecoin platform
1: look i think there the are many and varied but um as i say for now we are taking a view that we want to learn our way through to a to a process that's resilient for a process that is visible to our regulators um, and look you know a stablecoin. we think is just a fundamental digital asset that the the token economy just needs and if you have a, a credible issuer uh, that's working closely with regulators to guide the regulatory perimeter around that to to ensure that th- there's there's good transparency around really important issues like financial crime, KYC, and transaction monitoring, which we have also established um, those service partners. Um, you know, building up that that ecosystem of services around <clears throat> a transaction uh, and around settlement. Um, you know, that is uh, endorsed by and uh, and that our regulators are comfortable with. Is is really part of the 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 initial part of our strategy. Now, p- after that, we think that there's <laughs> almost unlimited use cases for stable coins on the basis that our customers themselves have a tokenization or an automation strategy. Um, you know, here's an example where we did another POC recently was with the distilling industry, uh, and we worked with another partner called Convergence Tech and along with KPMG. Um, and ultimately that was a government-funded. A piece of work um, where the ATO participated because they were interested in receiving um, a highly automated process of um, extracting excise tax from the distilling process.
0: Okay.
1: So here's a physical asset, you know, it's manufacturing manufacturing alcohol. Uh, the alcohol is obviously used in distilling and at various points in that production process, excise t- t- tax can and should be payable. And with the use of smart contracts and, and, and various um barcodes and, and, and information transformation, you can monitor the consumption of a physical asset like alcohol. You can um, flag its um its consumption and the event-driven um, excise tax through a smart contract, which can then um, communicate with an ANZ coin to pay the requisite amount of um excise tax to the ATO who can receive arguably receive that stable coin payment in their in their wallet. So it's a sort of forward-looking example of how you can transform very analog processes which have lots of different actors. Yeah. And as long as you have the right standards um, of communication, then you can achieve um, quite significant uplift in automation and operational efficiency. And, and the point I make around standards is is not to be lost because we we were, <clears throat> to our knowledge, one of the first banks in the world to issue a coin on a public permissionless blockchain, right? right. There have been a number of experiments with private permissioned. yeah. But we went the extra step, which is where we think the innovative, um, you know, kind of leadership has is emerged is that we went into the Ethereum network and we went there because standards were emerging or had emerged. Um, ERC-20 is, is now a commonly used standard mm-hmm. for um, a range of digital assets. Um, there's a range of you know, NFT standards, 1155s and a whole range of things that are emerging because the developer concentration around the Ethereum network is significant. Um, and that's where progress is being made on that all important standard setting. And for anyone who's been in traditional finance, you know, you, you'll know very well, standards matter. And there are a range of things like the SWIFT standards, the SWIFT messaging okay. standards that we've all Definitely. grown up with um, that really set the language for financial markets and financial infrastructure. This is very similar. But it's just happening in a tokenized with a set of tokenized protocols uh, as opposed to the digital protocols of the of the web two. So we are seeing that play out. And those standards are going to be what drives the the interoperability, Mm -hmm. uh, the communication cross-chain, and a range of new capabilities. And and each of those um, use cases will will probably need different types of um, distributed ledger networks. Some will need, um, you know, very very secure uh, and potentially permissioned. Some will need very very high throughput, like payments, um, and some will need very low cost as well. Uh, well, most will need low cost in the future. But um, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, you know, getting getting to the to the to the scalability and security and cost are the you know the really um, the triumvirate of of success. If you can get you know it's, it's successfully distributed networks. With with really good scale, security, and cost, then you're really onto a transformational proposition, and we see those developing today. Um, we don't not all of the traditional blockchains are as scalable and and cost effective as we'd like them to be or need them to be for future transactions. Yep. But as that inevitably happens, you know that cost curve is is is, is plummeting. Um, efficiency is improving, so we think that um, staging a whole range of traditional transactions on distributed ledgers with tokenization in the future is 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 more than likely, if not probable.
0: Yeah. That is a lot I mean, lots lots to talk about there. I think um you know your point around standards is is absolutely critical. I think mm-hmm. some of the work that we've been doing around you know the private blockchain work, you know, much of that work is just trying to get the you know the commonality around uh, you know, the standards upon which the individual players within that private blockchain network are going to operate. Um, yes. And so you think that, you know, that's that's sort of, you know, that's a degree of work which is good, but, you know, ultimately if we can get that out into the, you know, the public blockchain space and you've got yes. you know, very well understood and agreed upon standards for interoperability, um, you know, very, very big opportunity there I, i'm fascinated by your your distilling example because i think we've you know we've talked about this notion that um by utilizing smart contracts you can have you know a number of players you know at all sort of stages of the transaction and so fascinating to see the the ato i mean, i'm not surprised they're interested um <laughs> but that uh, yes. uh, but it but is good because i mean obviously You know, if we can take the um, you know processing time and add to efficiencies, then everyone wins out of that. So uh, that's exactly
1: right, Nick. I mean, I I think and 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 that what you've just kind of summarised is that is the problem solving aspect of it, right? What's better? What's cheaper? What's faster? And and in order to get real momentum behind the token economy, we need to show that there are genuine, material, measurable benefits. Um, and and we're still being secure, we're still being regulated, we're still being transparent. All of those things we can achieve. And and the, you know, the tailwind of, of government interest and government support is really important. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're part of the digital finance, CRC, for example, that's yeah. a 10-year funded uh, piece of work. There's a, a range of public sector regulators, private sector players and that, and, you know, some really good work emerging in that particular space. Um, and we're busy across a range of other areas, but you know, just to see the governmental support, the regulatory interest, and in, and in, and and really their interest in, in in maintaining you know financial market stability, but also supporting innovation, is is really important.
0: Yeah, and you know, often uh, we, you know with you know entrepreneurs who will call me up, um, you know, they're very interested in the, in DAOs and decentralized autonomous organisations and. You know, that part of it, not everyone, obviously, but, you know, part of it is around, you know, this idea that in a decentralised world we can in some way, uh, you know, cut government out of the picture. And, you know, and, and the reality is, you know, we talked about that at the early stages of the internet, you know, 97, 98, 99, there was this sort of talk around, you know, governments will lose control over their citizens, etc. And I I think that's a, that's a terrible narrative. And it, it's not true, actually, because what we saw with the internet is, uh, governments will always seek to retain uh, sovereignty over its citizens, via its laws, and so forth. And I think the more that we can uh, work together with government and um and make sure that they understand that it that you know this whole use of blockchain and decentralization doesn't necessarily mean that government loses out. It just means that you know we we seek f- to find efficiency. so
1: I agree. and and the the idea that um you know completely, trustless organisations can operate um, is, not, is not incorrect, but rather I don't think the public is ready for that kind of leap of faith right now. Um, maybe there are a few steps before we get into completely autonomous um, networks that run certain services, probably not essential services, but certain services for customers, and I think we've got to, you know, find our way through that, but leaping to that instantly autonomous um phase where which which was which is conceptually very interesting and potentially incredibly efficient Mm. i think it's too big a leap Um, and and neither do i think that um it is necessarily a straight stepping stone process between traditional finance digital finance and in fact the digital economy and the the token economy i think the two will actually be more of a convergence path um, Mm. and they'll kind of meet somewhere in the middle where you know trust still has value where regulation is still required but also desired, right, because that's where you get trust. Mm. And citizens see governmental support in most, you know, um, open economies as the underpinning of that trust and that and regulation serves a purpose. It's recourse. It's, you know, it's a claim on, um, you know, doing things better and, and ensuring that there is... Um, a right of appeal should you not agree with an outcome where you know we've seen in other you know very contemporary decentralized markets that, that that recourse that governance is not as strong as it perhaps needs to be given you know some of the events that have occurred.
0: Yeah I mean there's very much there's an attraction around that sort of techno-utopian ideal of of complete decentralization but I think you're right you know at the end of the day that's all fine but when something goes wrong and you're on the receiving end of it um you know you i think you know the, the human condition is such that you would like some recourse um, I, agree. I just just back onto the stablecoin. coin issue remember, a too so, so where do stable coins head from here we always see you know i think we've seen you know the, well the collapse of sort of the algorithmic stablecoin. Proposition with Terra Luna, who knows where that ends up. But just in terms of stable coins and particularly backed stable coins like um, the ANZ's uh, project, is, is, are we going to have a world where there's a thousand stable coins? Will every, will every bank have a stable coin? Will there be just a couple of leaders? How, how do you see that world panning out?
1: That's a really good question. I mean, our $8 DC is, is the first uh, Australian yeah. dollar stablecoin on issue, um, you know, we've got a lot of people asking to to, to use it in, in various um, venues and various use cases. Um, there's nothing stopping any other institution issuing one. But I think it comes back to the, um, you know, what is the, the what is the redemption um, value of that? Okay. Right. So you probably you probably trust a bank to redeem your coin as you do redeem your deposit um, yes. you know, quite highly. Um, you know, and I think that we also have you know a large customer audience that is very willing to work with us and also an equally um, large regulatory audience which is what working with us. so we're uniquely positioned um, and we have we have trust we have business models that are well established in terms of holding collateral and working with customers on financial transactions got a you know very strong operational um, you know uh, set of practices that support um, our obligations for regulators. And and therefore I I honestly think we're well positioned to, you know, work in the mainstream. Now, mm. is is there is there a kind of winner take all? I don't think there is. Um, mm. but but neither should every bank be issuing their own coin, right? Because then you've then you've gone probably gone back to two or three hundred years to where banks were issuing their own banknotes. And there's been books written about that it doesn't end well um, because of credit quality and a whole range of interoperability issues. Now, clearly we're, de- we're not dealing with paper anymore, but um, certainly uh, in a world where the 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 user is so confused, at the number of choices they have about a uh, an Australian dollar or a US dollar or a New Zealand dollar probably isn't a good thing. Yeah. So um, you know we think leadership is important. We think that creating liquidity around our $8 DC. Will give us that kind of market presence that, that might also um, attract other banks to potentially issue that coin as well or use that coin. Um, the future is uh, is is it's uncertain, um, but also then there's the CBDC uh, discussion that is also yeah. um, emerging in parallel, uh, perhaps more slowly in some cases. But you know that is a genuine you know economy wide coin, and and if that um, gets traction in a range of use cases, particularly wholesale. Arguably even retail, um, then that <clears throat> that might answer the the question around how many stable coins there are. What we what we try not to do at ANZ is to think about coins and payments. What we're trying to think about is the, the foundational nature of the digital coin, but in relation to digital assets. And you know, we just think a digital coin will be one of the digital assets our customers hold in the future. And it'll be useful for moving and and transacting in them and and exchanging them Um, it'll be a you know an underpinning type of asset rather than a sort of dominant uh, asset rather the customers will be exchanging property cars whatever anything that's tokenized uh, certainly digital assets Um, and the means by which they will do that and settle those transactions will be a coin right? So, I think that what we'll find is that the conversation that we might have in two years time, Nick, um, should we still be talking about this, will be much less about, tell me about your coin, it'll be tell me about what marketplace or venues are you, what wallets are we using, what are our customers doing with these digital assets, who's tokenized what recently and why. I think that's the kind of conversation we'll have.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, maybe maybe I'm Maybe I've drunk the Kool Aid a bit too much. No, but it does strike me that you know, in two or three years' time, we'll sort of look back on this time and think, well, you know, of course, digital assets are a thing. It's um, you know, and it's it's just you know, it's tokenizing value. I think one of the problems is, I think because of the um, I guess stigma of cryptocurrency and where that has hmm. sort of come from in the public consciousness. And then nfts which really only rose to prominence the last sort of 12 or 18 months and that idea of you know the bored apes sort of crypto punks people paying seemingly exorbitant amounts of money for what is in effect just jpegs um it's it's sort of it, it, it for people they they look at this digital asset space and think oh well it's you know it's it's all a fad but i mean you from your point of view you know are you uh, you think that you know, in a few years time that every we will see most people and organisations have some form of digital assets in their portfolio.
1: Yeah, I, I do actually, um, and I mean, there's a there's a couple of examples where <clears throat> I think um, the NFT is particularly applicable and 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 very useful. For example, you know, um, going back to carbon in in the carbon credit market, mm-hmm. you know, there there are there is an Australian carbon credit unit, which is a generic mm-hmm. carbon credit unit, which is. You know the result of a range of projects that deliver um, that you know a carbon credit to the economy, and then that is uh, appropriately you know verified and on a on a registry. Now we think we can look through though the the ACCU the Australian carbon yeah. credit unit all yeah. the way through to the project. Now you can okay. look through to the project and say, well, what is that? It's a, is it a is it a Northern Territory Indigenous carbon credit and network um, you know project? Is it a certain type of um, you know, um, you know, is it a savannah or is it whatever, you know, there's a whole range of different yes. types of um carbon credit emission, you know, originators. Um, if you can look right through to the project, right from its point of origin, create an NFT on that, which is um, you know, distinguishes it from a generic carbon credit, yes. you might create a this this market which says, well, you know what, I, I want to hold that carbon credit because yeah. I can identify it. I particularly want that for a range of reasons that may be personal to me or maybe part of the purpose of a, a, our company or whatever it may be. But the idea that you can actually look right through to that, that point of origin and 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 document and tokenize the, the provenance of that along with the asset, that information is really valuable. And I think we'll get a really interesting um, gradation in the carbon market because of that transparency rather than just having a generic aku there could be a whole range of nfts that are specific to projects um so that's just one example where nfts are just a little bit more useful than perhaps the jpeg as you say. they actually <laughs> they bring bring information around provenance and, and 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 certainty uh that people are looking for um uh, around the assets that they're buying
0: yeah, yeah, no, it certainly, um, certainly would seem to make more sense than uh, you know than an indifferent-looking ape. Um, the um, I guess on um, and and for those listeners, if you haven't listened to um, the interview that we did with Guy Dickinson from Beta Carbon, we go into more detail around accus and how how carbon credits are actually created in Australia. So, um, so do listen in on that. Mm. And Nigel, so you know what, what you're saying. You know, it, it, it sort of lifts my heart, and I'm, you know, I'm incredibly enthusiastic uh, about what it is that you and the team at the ANZ have been doing in this space. But you know, it does seem like a very adventurous project for a big bank. Can you can you give some advice, I guess, to people listening out there who who, who would like to be, you know, perhaps taking their organisation on? on a uh, on a trip into these sorts of technologies how, how do you how do you manage that within within an organization of the size of ANZ
1: yeah that's a great question and and you know it is a journey um and and there will always be a range of um you know um, already held uh, positions and opinions around what you might be talking about or what people might think you're talking about um and so the the language really matters um, and also the the positioning really matters. So we took a view that um we would focus on financial market infrastructure. We would focus on um operating model of, of our business. Um, you know, we observed in the DeFi markets that business model was still very much the same. Buyers, sellers, lenders, borrowers. Um, mm-hmm. that we recognized um that required risk management and in our world regulation. And and so we thought, right, what's the operating model that's changing? So the financial market infrastructure that supports all of the transactions in the economy in the economy might be better off over time, uh, progressively moving to a decentralised, tokenized marketplace. And that's our central thesis. Hence, you start with a stablecoin. Um, and then if you start having that kind of conversation, talking about digital assets, not talking about cryptocurrency, <laughs> um, talking about, um, you know, the value of an NFT, as I just described it, rather than the board, eh? yes, um, ape yeah. So really parking a lot of the, the noise uh, that, that, that makes the headlines, and people just go, "That's just, you know, that people don't understand why those valuations are, are, are even in evidence." But if we keep it going back to FMI, financial market infrastructure, um, operating model, and solving problems for customers, right? How did I solve? How did I solve a problem for you, Victor Smorgan, For you, distillery industry, for you, the, the carbon buyers, etc. Um, that's where we get the proof points, and then you show. Cheaper, faster, better, or any one of those three, <laughs> ideally <laughs> Um, but where you can achieve, you know, one, two, or three of those attributes where you're saying I'm more efficient, I'm saving money, I'm mitigating risk, right? That's compelling. Yeah. And if you then um talk about that in in a um you know a, a kind of institutional context, um, which we're very comfortable dealing in right now, we don't we don't want to you know, project our our current learnings into the retail space because I think it's too early. Yes. Um, Our regulators are much more happy with us um, learning and and building our capability through our institutional franchise, which we think is also the right way to go as well. But it's all about the narrative, Nick. It's about, you know, what you say and what you don't say, Um, giving people confidence through proof points, um, through all of the... Um, you know, delivering operational risk assessments, delivering key controls and financial crime metrics and all of the things that are required for traditional transactions. All it can all be done with the service providers that surround the, um, the, token, ind- the token economy. And, and one last thing I'd say is that one of the great benefits of the token economy is that the service providers, the enterprise-grade service providers, which we use, mm. are already in production. Right. We didn't have to build it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so when you talk about cost and overhead and efficiency, we didn't have to build the infrastructure for yeah. custody, for the wallets, for financial crime. It's all as a service, variable cost. It's a little bit like, you know, people talking about cloud um, 10 years ago. Fun. Why would I go to cloud, right? Oh, you didn't have to have a data center. You didn't have to have machines. You didn't have to do all this. So very similar kind of narrative to say I can draw these services that are reliable, high-quality, enterprise-grade, and I pay variable cost, uh, and I don't need to run them. You know, I don't need to be an expert. I need to be able to connect my customers to them and offer those services to them. To them, um, but I'm, I'm working with a range of partners now that, that enable us to very quickly move to deliver um, tokenized services to our customers at a very low cost um, price point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, that 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 final point. I mean, all the points were fantastic. That final point is is really powerful, though, because I think you know you, you use Fireblocks, and we see you know I see Fireblocks sort of coming up. You know, they're very popular, and you think you know this might have been a different proposition pre Fireblocks. So, you know, they've really taken you know taken that enterprise market uh, uh, a step ahead. So yeah, that that is you know it's a great it's a great point that. Yeah, the the service provider industry has sort of come out slowly. You know, it's been a it's been a few years sort of the blockchain world as it evolved. Um, but you, but you are you know that's that's a great point that actually you can utilize a whole range of service providers that are that are high quality and can be trusted. Yes. Uh, and I certainly take your point around um, that, you know don't mention the cryptocurrency <laughs> word. Uh, it's uh, a <laughs> Best to stay away from uh, from that. I, I'll take that on board with my own no, no. discussions with management here.
1: You get a lot uh, of emotional reactions to, oh, to the term, uh, ab- not always good, right?
0: Ab- absolutely, it's um, you know, it's it's very much you know that uh, that sense of uh, yeah. Well, Nick, if uh, you know, if we need cryptocurrency to buy drugs on the dark web, we'll come and see you. But otherwise, don't be talking about that. So I uh, know it, it has some backstory to it that we should uh, leave behind. Maybe just as a final question, I mean a lot a lot going on, and congratulations on you know you, you talked about delivering proof points and it's not always easy things don't necessarily always work. You know, phenomenal that you know you've had three three significant projects. You, you talk about the you know the two Smorgan projects yep. and then the distillery uh, project. It, 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 so so I imagine there's a degree of confidence um, coming within the organisation. Are there any you know wh- what is it? What's the future in this space look like for And Where where do you take these technologies from here?
1: Well, I think we're preparing for scale right now, right? The the transactions we've done have been, you know, single um, point-to-point transactions. Um, They've been, you know, much, much more efficient um, compared to the, um, you know, the base case transaction. Um, However, we need to work on our off-chain, on-chain communications. Uh, We need, whilst we're... um, um blockchain agnostic, we still are searching for a range of future partners and c- current partners and future partners who can deliver the scalability and efficiency that we need for for you know financial market type transactions at low cost. Um, so there's the so the first part is you know automating our own off-chain um, proposition regarding request to mint um, and redemption, the whole life cycle of the coin. Yeah. Yep. Ensuring that the communication between our technology and the and the Firebox platform is is highly automated, that we can then operate at scale, much like a you know a, a genuine payment system. Um, ensure that our, um, our financial crime monitoring through chain analysis is appropriately scaled as well and in as real time as possible. Um, and then then we want to create liquidity, right? Because um, this is the game of um, creating liquidity for for a coin for a range of use cases, um, and as I say, we we continue to, to be quite focused on the marketplaces that, that are less mature, that have less mature um financial market infrastructure. And, and again, carbon comes into that um, frame quite quickly, um, helping to mature that market um because of our own you know, ANZ strategy, but also because of the, we think there's a need to um, uplift that. Um and then the look, I think there's a a whole range of um projects that will will emerge. Um, as our customers um, better understand the value of tokenization of their assets or parts of their supply chain. So you know, it'll be a number of conversations, um, but for now, um, doing what we do better, more automated, focusing on sustainability, and then also working with um, you know blockchains of the future. One of the ones we've been working with is the Hedera network um, that has a great deal of promise um, and we see um, some attributes there that are very attractive for us in terms of speed, uh, transaction per second, and also um, the low cost nature of the current network. And also its governance, right? It's governed by a range of very large organizations that um, host the nodes for that network. So it's quite a unique um, uh, governance group that, that, again, gives us comfort that that might be the, uh, one of the choices we make in the future as well.
0: Great well that's a, that's a great uh, a great piece of alpha to use the, uh, the terminology of, uh, of, of I guess the crypto world but uh, interesting that uh, you're looking at that, that network We've, I've certainly been seeing a lot more about that. Yep. I think one of the great comments that you made there too was around um, you know focusing on carbon where obviously for the bank, big focus on the transition um, uh, out of carbon, and, um, and I think for any innovator within an organisation to try to align the innovations with uh, broader uh, strategy is always a comfortable place to be rather than sort of being, being a standout saying, you know, we you know we should innovate because, you know, the technology is there. Rather, you're saying you see that, uh, you know, energy transition is important to the bank and what we can do here using this technology can support that. So brilliant.
1: Oh look, I think you're right, Nick. I mean, swimming with the current within an organisation is always easier than swimming against it. Um, and so, when you when you are, you know, comfortably swimming with the current, um, then you know um, the enthusiasm around what you might be able to offer from an innovation point of view, uh, I think you know, just by its very nature, moves more more quickly, uh, gets more stakeholder interest and and more supporters. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well I we we could talk for hours I should let you get back to your day Nigel. Thank you uh, Thank you very much for spending the time with us today. Congratulations once again to you to the team and, and to the bank uh because this you know this stuff is not it's not simple to achieve so uh, acknowledge that and uh, and congratulations we look forward to uh, to watching uh with interest as you work as you continue to develop in this space. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you Nick it's been a pleasure
0: many thanks. Thanks for listening to Web3 from Mystery to Mainstream. Nothing in this podcast is legal or financial advice. Have a great day. And remember, every organization needs a Web3 strategy.